Welcome to the Spike Feed, your leading Magic the Gathering podcast. What is up? My name is Curtis, and I am just your typical Spike. On the line with me, dressed for the upcoming winner, my good buddy and producer extraordinaire, Cameron McCoy. Dude, rocking that layered look. How you feeling? You know, I'm feeling pretty good, dude. It's uh, it, The sun is shining right now. I think we might go for a little afternoon walk, and I get to talk to you. It's all good. Yeah, we've... We spent an alarming amount of time already catching up on each other's weeks. So, mm-hmm. um, our our pre-show is so incredibly uninteresting, guys. So, uh, <laughs> Windows Eleven updates. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, our my my kids' band concert. Like, I mean, just just the money that you're missing out on by not being in the pre-show. So, Cameron, talk to me about Magic the Gathering. We are. I would say settling in. We're going to talk a lot about this standard because I think there's actually quite a bit to say. Now, you've put aside limited, right? You did your kind mm-hmm. of two-week limited sabbatical. Now you're back in constructed. How's it going? Uh, so far, so good. Um, I feel like the algorithm that Arena is using, because I haven't been able to play paper, um, is just so like tuned to make sure that I play against very specific decks. So I see like, you know, mono white and blue red dragons, blue red control on all these like, you know, you know, metagame lists yet. I'm still only playing against like anything that I'm playing with. That's like a color combination of that. And it's really kind of annoying and frustrating because I really would love to play some of these decks uh, to see how they fare against mono white or blue red control. Um, so, two decks that I played this week. One I think is pretty well tuned. It's the sim- similar to what you're playing last week, which is the blue black control list um, using Sedgemore Rich. Um, this one's using Leer Disciple of the Drowned, which allows you to essentially flash back everything in your graveyard, and then mm-hmm. just a whole bunch of low casting cost. Uh, instant, instant sorcery spells, um, making this more of like a little bit of like a tempo deck. Um, and dude, it's, it, it is my jam. Like this is like one of those decks where it's like, it has all those elements that I really like in a deck. Um, everything from like casting a sorcery spell in order to get a creature onto the battlefield to, you know, use that as a defensive mentor. And then at some point you just have such a critical mass of creatures that your opponent can't you know, defend everything, which I just love. I, I think it's really, really good. Um, Lear is so interesting as well because it's such a it is such a control card, yet um, nothing can be countered anymore. So like you really pull back from counter spells, and you become a, a much more of a um, I'm going to answer your threat immediately sort of deck. Um, and I like that a lot. Uh, it it, it kind of creates a different sort of control deck that. Um, that I dig. Um, so yeah, like I'm digging this deck, but my my issue is, is that I'm always playing against like another Esper control list or a green black list. I'm I don't feel like I'm playing against like the cream of the crop lists. Mm-hmm. Well, so first of all, I have to ask: Are you dividing by zero? I am. Oh yes. So here's my working theory. I think that's the most important card in standard right now. Um, I, I, I don't hear it talked about enough. I don't yeah. know why. Um, but there are some of the most vicious turns that I've seen in this standard with that thing. Like, 
And I don't, you didn't mention Hullbreaker Horror. That's kind of been the big, mm. uh, how good is that card? How much do you want to put it in control decks? Because it is seven mana, but if you do manage to land it, it tends to end the game on the spot. Uh, but if you have like Hullbreaker Horror in combination with Divide by Zero, then obviously it's like Busto City. But Divide by Zero results in these like massive tempo swings that make these decks feel much more tempo oriented. And your ability to tutor, like, <laughs> it's remand, but you're always tutoring the, the effect you need, mm -hmm. right? And so the extra mana in the context of this format is kind of trivial because usually they're playing around just Jawari Disruption anyway, or at mm -hmm. least where I'm at in the ladder, people are aware that, like, oh, man, he's holding up two mana. Perhaps I will get Word Power killed or Jawari Disruptioned. But I've had so many games against aggro decks while I've been playing this deck that I divide by zero their turn three play, and it is, the game just completely turns, like, 100%, like, right now. Um, so anyway, I, I think that's just the card that not a lot of people are talking about, but it it is completely empowering these kind of control decks to exist, and it's also can stop Holebreaker Horror from entering the battlefield, which is a big, big deal. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so not to step on your deck analysis, you also were playing Black Red Vampires? Yeah, and this is a... So just through sheer luck, I feel like I have a lot of these cards, so I didn't have to spend a lot on the wild cards, uh, which is good. So it's Black Red Vampires. It's not optimally tuned because I'm not putting a lot of resources into this deck because I don't think this is one I'm going to be playing for you know, the foreseeable future. But it is kind of fun to just have it and and play around and mess around with it um, and to see how some of those interactions were kind of designed to be made. Um, and I think Black Red Vampires has game. There's a lot of really good low-to-the-ground creature cards. You're using Agadim's Awakening in order to bounce those back because there are certain ones like um, Blood Tithe Harvester where you can sacrifice it uh, depending on how many blood tokens you have. Um to like you know destroy a creature so it can get rid of like real pesky um like if you're playing against mono green like i, I feel like it's a way to um kind of keep their threats down um and then you can you know buy it back essentially with Egadine's awakening so there's like some really good synergies going on um soren has been kind of like i think the biggest letdown for me it's fine but like it doesn't have it's not the Soren Tudor of old. like yeah. that we had in like in past, you know. So it's fine. I just don't think it's actually really has its place in here. Like, I mean, woohoo, I, I made a you know, a two three flying uh I'm you know, vampire but meanwhile my mono green opponent can still just kind of trounce me with their tree folk token, right? So I mean it's mm -hmm. just like one of those things where like, eh, it doesn't really seem that good so i like this but i don't think this is going to be a deck that is as good as mono green or mono white it just seems to be like one turn too slow the threat density just doesn't seem to be as good as what you're getting with like i think those top performing decks um it's fine it's going to be a tier two deck um you know I'm, I'm always down for like a zombies deck or a vampires deck or something like that i, I like the themes i just don't think that this is going to be over the top or great yeah and i would argue that it's hard to point to the card that is really the linchpin in the way that you see mono white and mono green like 
you have better mana, and then the top end of those creature decks is just better than what's mm-hmm. in Vampires or Zombies, right? Like, the middle of the pack creature cards are as good or better in Vampires, but you just don't have that, to your point, threat density. Um, while we're talking about this metagame, so there have been this... There's, there's been these decks that have popped up um, kind of out of nowhere that are green-black control. And it is... I've been waiting to hop on. So I've had Ren and Sevens. And I just, I should say I had three of them. And I just wanted to complete the set, play a Ren and Seven deck. But the green, red, vampire Ren and Seven decks have never really intrigued me. The mono green deck, I think, is kind of a snooze. Um, Effective and a good deck, Mm -hmm. but not something that I'm personally interested in playing. So I've seen this green, black, mid-range control list pop off a couple times in the, you know, decks that have gone 5-0. and And... What's been good about this? So let's just be clear. It is 100% a Asikius Chariot, ran in seven, uh, but you also have some number of black planeswalkers, whether that's Lolth or Liliana, or I'm sorry, Professor Onyx. Uh, and then you're playing Binding the Old Gods. As it was intended to be played, a mid-range powerhouse, not something fueling, you know, massive ultimatums and all this kind of stuff, right? <laughs> um and you also have a bunch of those like Augur of Autumn and Briarbridge Tracker, these kind of mid-range green value things that makes this feel kind of like Death Cloud or Jund in its traditional sense where you're just trying to generate a bunch of mid-range value. Um, and here's the thing. Absolutely stone cold terrible against uh, black red. Or I'm sorry, blue red control. Um, they can go over the top of you. You basically have no answers for things like Epiphany. Um, but... This has been really good against Mono White, like surprisingly good. Really good against Mono Green, again, surprisingly good, because my dudes get bigger. I have all the same stuff as you, but I'm ramping faster, right? I have a splasher removal, and then I'm playing Storm of the Festival as my collected company variant, but I can get to it much more quickly. You're playing a full set, along with the Augur of Autumn, you're also playing four Prosperous Innkeepers, and so you just tend to get this stuff online a little bit ahead of schedule. Um, you have the, what's the the land? It's also a two mana mana dork. It's like a tangled something or other. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So you're playing those <clears throat> in concert, and like, it's really exposing what I think is interesting about this standard. Is now we've reached the point where Epiphany decks are not the best deck, right? I try, I try, Cameron. We can go back to the audio logs. I tried to warn people about Thalia, right? I, <laughs> And lo and behold, Mono White is, according to the metagame analysis, the best deck, and the deck I am definitely playing against the most. So while I think the algorithm is just hosing you hard, uh-huh. I'd say I play against Mono White, you know, two out of every three matches. Oh, wow, wow. Like, it is it is that consistent. And I think it also, it, it stems from, yes, it can mess up the Epiphany decks, but it also tends to have enough evasion to beat up on Mono Green. Right, like they can kind of get out in front of Mono Green and just have some flyers, and whether that's like through the the equipment or actual flyers. But let, make no mistake, Thalia is the thing that's giving them the room to do this, right? And so now we're in this mode where, in, and this is a traditional thing, when you have Death and Taxes dominating, the thing that beats up on that is mid range decks, mm-hmm. right? If they have Thalias and all these things, a two one first strike, and you're like. Here's a three mana three four. Suddenly they're like, oh, 
<laughs> right? Yeah. That they, they don't really account for those things. So we've kind of, I, and I mean this in a weird way, not in like it's as good. We've kind of reached the kind of uh, balance that legacy sometimes gets to. Mm. Where you have, yes, this super high-end spell-based deck, whether it's combo and in this case epiphany. And then you have the Death and Taxes Maverick that can kind of take advantage of those things, right? Mm-hmm. And now we, we see the emergence of mid-range. So you're going to see this kind of paper, rock, scissors set up. There's not really a combo deck. I know the, the, the blue-eyed deck you were playing kind of has a combo to it. Um, but I just think that that's just not there. Now, yeah, I, I do want to talk about Holebreaker Horror because a lot of people are saying, hey, that is... That is the card now. It's like better than Epiphany. It's the showstopper. It's the thing that you can't get past. So far, in my experience, it's been a lot like, I'm, I'm dating myself here, but like Morphling or mm. something like that, where it's just, yes, it is the game ender. Uh, you can certainly beat the deck before it gets to that point because there's not a lot of decks that are turboing out a seven drop. Yeah. So have you played against that card very often? Uh, I've played against it once, and um, it's legit. It's a real thing. Like I, I lost the game handedly because you know it it, it happens. So it's um, yeah, it's a, it's a really good card. I have also yet to play against the quote mono white that's white black mm-hmm. the cleric thing. I haven't seen that yet. Um, I have yet to play against vampires. Like I've seen the list, but I've never actually played against it. But dude. Mono white and blue red is like all I'm doing all the time. Interesting. I I never run into control. So what I'm trying to say is the algorithm likes me a little bit better than you. Seems to. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> um. So hey, I, I kind of want to mix in the news with this segment. Um. Just talk standard metagame like super fast. Granted, we're two weeks in. This is very new. Are we fixed? Because I know we had some pretty big concerns about Epiphany. Yeah. Where are you at? Um, yeah, I, I think right now standard seems interesting. Like I, I'm happy with it. I like that there, that mono white has just kind of taken everything by storm and I'm totally okay with that. Um, I'm okay with the epiphany decks in, in practice. I think what I, at the end of the day though, I still just don't like that card and I think it just, I'm just ready to see it go. So, like, it's just one of those things of, like, yes, it's not busted, but I would still gladly just see it banned just for sheer, hey, here's something different now. <laughs> I would be totally fine with that. So, um, yeah, and overall, like, even though I've been, I feel like, been paired up against some oddballs of decks uh, on Arena, I, it has been feeling fresh, which which is nice, you know, always welcome. Yeah. So far, I've been alarmingly positive about it. And I got to tell you, I don't know how much of it is me fooling myself into thinking everything is fine. But every time I've sat down to play standard, I've really enjoyed it. And I really did not mind. I thought Epiphany was too good, but I didn't dislike last standard, uh, you know, with Innistrad. Mm -hmm. Um, But now with Crimson Vow, I feel like there's some balance. I feel like we're again in that classic paper, rock, scissors, which maybe is a little rote to some people, but not to me. And also, all the other things about Magic the Gathering have really been bumming me out. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, dude, I know you don't listen to a lot of other Magic podcasts, but when more than half the time is devoted to all the secret layers that they're announcing, and now it feels like, 
and how much money you can make by getting this and it's worth X amount of dollars. Like it feels like that is so much of what magic content is. And I'm not trying to be critical of those people because that's what they feel like covering. And Lord knows, you know, nobody's doing this for like the bucks, right? Like yeah, yeah. you're doing it because it's a thing you want to talk about. We talk about what we want to talk about on our show. Um, but it just, it, it really feels icky. Like we're reaching almost to like, Hey, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have you be underneath me and then you're going to sell to four people underneath you. And you know, like yeah. this, this constant, like, Hey, these secret layers are going to be worth so much. And it's just like, ugh, barf. Can we talk about the actual game? It um, feels kind of like, um, I mean, I know they're hugely popular, but like on YouTube, sometimes like uh, like the unboxing videos, there's just so many, and it's like, okay, I'm watching somebody open up a package. That's not interesting to me. Let's like review something else, you know. And that, that's kind of where the entire secret layer thing seems to fit snugly right now. Maybe some people love it, but man, talk about something else, please. <laughs> yeah, not to make this too much about watch YouTube, but um, that is one big like big eye raiser is when people say hey this is a review and an unboxing of a watch and it's like well okay shouldn't you wear it like for like a week or two before you like give a review of what the watch is yeah (laughs) but like you're you're opening it right now and then you're also going to give me a review on it like i think not my man um so anyway and and there's some there's some really good watch youtube videos out there but it's just some of them you're like how how is this a reasonable review at all yeah right yeah anyway uh let's talk about like this right now, as we're speaking, uh, maybe not as we're speaking, it might be too early there, but uh, MTG Las Vegas is happening. Not a Magic Fest, not a Grand Prix. It is a Magic, or it is a magic Tournament in Las Vegas run by Channel Fireball. There's no coverage. And uh, I linked you, some people are like kind of <laughs> guerrilla coveraging, right? Uh-huh. Um, and obviously there's an appetite, so I want to just give this person credit so let's see their username is it is loading eyelash tv and i hope i'm saying that right and she has like 13k viewers on her stream of her like literally walking around setting up the camera for her matches like good for her man but like the fact that she's hit that number i think should tell you all you need to know about how badly we need coverage Uh and by the way this is a modern event and I'm always told that, you know, my modern hate is unreasonable and everyone loves modern so much more than me. Um, I don't know. Man, like, can you explain this to me, why there's no coverage for these things? No, I can't explain to it, especially this being, like, one of the first major ones. I feel like this is the sort of thing where it's like, yeah, obviously, like, the startup cost can't be that hard. I think we said this on a, last, a couple shows ago, but, like... Everybody knows how to stream now. Like everybody has a built-in webcam. That's all it takes. Just a top-down view of the game going on. Um, and something like this, uh, where you have one person doing a live stream, and it's getting that number of views, feels kind of like um, I don't know, like kind of like old school. Uh, like these games are like very grassroots and kind of like I want to use these old cards and play with them. I'm not getting support in any sort of way. I'm going to do that. She's doing something very, very similar. I just wish that the actual organizations putting these ons, putting this stuff on would have that. Like let's let's make old school a thing. 
by having a sanctioned tournament. I think that would be really, really awesome. Similar to this, like I want there to be an official stream of this sort of thing. And it's just frustrating. I it, it's almost it's almost like they're wanting it to fail in a way, and I don't understand where that impetus is coming from. Uh, and I, I just feel like all these, whether it's Channel Fireball, Star City, Wizards of the Coast, whoever, it just feels like we're unwilling to play the long game anymore. Mm. And it's hard to analyze how much, you know, those viewers that you get on those streams, how much you're enticing them to buy new cards at their local LGS, to travel to events. You can't, like, the ROI on that is probably very hard. We're printing a big, stupid secret lair with Dracula on each of them is probably a lot easier to understand the ROI. I get that. Mm -hmm. But you can do it. It's obvious that it's there's a need there. And and also, you have a community that is so willing and desirous of this. Like if you just if they just said, hey guys, look, we can't afford this. We're gonna put up a GoFundMe for coverage. Or we're gonna put up a donation thing. Kind of like how Valve does for the uh, the Dota Championship where they fundraise through uh, bo- selling bits and bops and then that's how they do the coverage. Do that with Magic. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, you could even do a secret lair if you wanted to. And use the proceeds. But like, in Channel Fireballs uh, into things, like, just raise some money for it. It's hard telling what I wouldn't pay to make sure that I had access to this. Right? But yeah. it is actually killing me that I, so that, you know, hey, I'm a Chiefs fan. Chiefs play at three. I should be watching a Grand Prix from 12 to three and then rewatching the replays after the Chiefs game until I go to bed. That is how I do these things. And it's like, I don't understand how you're not making good on this. So anyway, it's frustrating. I'm sure there's some detail I'm missing or something I, I, I don't get. But like, man, we could do better than this. Mm-hmm. Right. So hire Cameron McCoy. Sure. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. You could you could uh, put up a, a camera and hit go. I bet. Uh, yeah, yeah. Feel like there'd be some people who'd watch that. <laughs> and and you would do it for a modest sum, right, Cameron? It's like, true. hit me up on Twitter. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, man. Let's. We we've actually got a ton of video games to talk about uh, because it's that time of year. So we're gonna get out of the segment, come back, and uh, talk about some shooters. We'll be right back. All right, Cameron. So welcome back. We've got uh, there is there is like all the stuff dropping like all at once right now. Um, and I just want to get out this out of the way before we talk games is Wheel of Time started. Mm. I haven't seen it yet. I have seen one episode of Cowboy Bebop, which is a very strange experience. Um, I don't know if you know anything about Cowboy Bebop. I mean, I've watched um, some of the cartoons. Yeah. Kind of same. I, I watched the series like early in my college career. So. Uh, and the show is like very much, at least in one episode, very much a live retelling of the cartoon. Like, so it feels like Scott Pilgrim. And oh, it's wow. like, I kind of don't know if I want that because why wouldn't I just watch the show? It's very strange. Hmm. Um, but Wheel of Time, I have like, I know it's going to be generic fantasy and it's kind of viewed that way from a written perspective. But like in terms of the importance of bringing fantasy back from the dead, like, I have a lot of respect for Wheel of Time in that way. Um, so I'm excited. I'm hoping to watch an episode tonight. So, um, but there's, like, all the content, right? Like, all the new originals Everything. are dropping now. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> however, you and I have decided instead to spend our time uh, on the online multiplayer. You're a big Battlefield guy, so uh, talk to me. Boy, I've heard a lot of mixed things, so I'm really interested in your in-depth perspective on Battlefield 2042. Yeah, uh, Battlefield is like one of those... Like one of the first shooters that I actually started playing um, online, I think it was like Bad Company Two that I played with you and former host of the show Dustin quite a bit, and I, it really um, sunk its teeth into me, and I've and I've enjoyed the series ever since, and so I've picked up almost every Battlefield since. Um, Twenty forty two is interesting. Uh, obviously, it's taking place. Um, 20-something years in the future, and it's um, kind of doing, like, its own interpretation on, like, what warfare will look like. Um, And I always have, like, a conflicted relationship with, like, these types of games. While I do love them, I am very aware that, you know, it feels like we're really uh, grandiosizing guns and things of that nature that... um, Sometimes don't always make me feel great, but man, do they make a good shooter? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so conflicted in that sense. Uh, this has a lot of the same elements as like a traditional battlefield. There's still the classes and all of that, but they've done some really interesting tweaks. There are now heroes, and inst- like your character, you you choose a character, and it's very much kind of like Apex or something like that, where you choose. This person with a particular loadout that has the wingsuit ability or this person can hack or, you know, these sorts of things that really pull away from like that, the the fundamentals of like Battlefield 1942. And in some ways it works okay and others it just feels kind of gimmicky or like they're just trying to be Overwatch or be... Um, Rainbow Apex. Six Siege is Ra- like that. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. And um, I don't know if it's really necessary. Like, I think you could have pulled that away and had very class specific things with those kind of generic soldiers, and it would have been just as fine. Just because um, Battlefield, I'm not in it for the charming characters that they have, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> there's. Oh, no way. <laughs> or the lack thereof, maybe. So, like. That is one aspect that I don't like. But, I mean, like, playing it on my PC, modest build, you know, you're getting 100 frames per second in 1440p, and it just looks so good. I mean, like, the the thing that they really shine at are, like, you know, the changing environments on a map. So, you know, a desert dust storm comes in, and visibility goes down to almost zero, and I mean, the particle effects and all that stuff just looks so good. And um, those are the moments that I'm in it for um, that just really make for some fun chaos. I'm going to hop in a helicopter, instantly die, you know, spawn on a buddy and then, you know, blow up a building. It, those like little moments are still there. I just feel like they've added on all these additional elements where it's like, no, nah, man, just strip it back and give me like the battlefield experience. So it's mixed. I, I think it's fine. I'm going to continue playing it for a few months, and I'll be happy. Well, and you have, like, a dedicated Battlefield crew, right? Like, so that's, yeah. that's an important part of the fun of it for you. Um, I got to be honest with you. As soon as you said to me, there are hero classes, we just took my interest, put it in a rocket, and shot it into a volcano. <laughs> like, yep. And so I, I have a coworker. He is, he, every year, this is incredible to me. 
he, he gets Call of Duty and Battlefield and plays them both. And he was like, yeah, this year Battlefield is so much better than this year's Call of Duty. And Call of Duty is weird because it's an annual franchise, but there's like three separate teams. So there's a mm-hmm. team that clearly makes the best ones. Yeah. And yeah. their rotation still isn't up, if that makes sense. And that was the one that I enjoyed a, a couple of games ago. But like what Call of Duty does better is kind of close twitch, um, you know, it's much more reactionary and mm. like this we could get to the lineage of this but basically that's because call of duty is built on the quake engine or a version long ago and so it's much more meant to be like you run around and you shoot as quickly as you can team deathmatch where i find that battlefield has lost me is that they're trying to do that and be a battlefield game and it really has accentuated the problem of okay i'm wa- <coughs> excuse me i'm walking for 10 minutes and then i get shot yep and the time to kill is short like it is in Call of Duty. But the way that they remedied that in old battlefields was, especially like 1943, but also Bad Company, is it was really hard to shoot someone from far away. Bullet drop was a huge thing in Battlefield. All the vehicles were like incredibly hard to drive. And the classes actually mattered. So if you weren't a great shot and you were a good medic, that that was more than enough, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and all that's been lost. And I'm so, so, so sick of progression meters, unlocking different weapons, unlocking anything that actually is game involved. And so we used to we used to poo-poo those kinds of things, and they became the norm, right? Yeah, they really did. And I think both PUBG and Apex appealed to both of us because all that stuff was cosmetic, right? Like, everyone started out the same, and... you it was purely skill-based. And why I stuck with Apex much longer than I do most shooters is I didn't have to grind. Mm-hmm. Is I could just pl- learn to play a character. I played Apex for three weeks, which for me is like two years, right? Like, I move on real fast. So, um, yeah, uh, that 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 is the big disappointment for me. Let's talk about Halo Infinite multiplayer, though. Okay. Because, Cameron, I'm here to tell you, blows all these things out of the water. <laughs> it is so far beyond my expectation. So, first of all, the progression system is purely cosmetic, 100%. You get the same guns as the guy that's been playing it 100 hours. That's awesome. And the time to kill takes a long time in Halo because of the shields and all that. Uh, and they've been working on this game for a, like a long time, like five years. And it shows because your one-on-one fights with people feel like they take a while and they feel like they're very skill-based. But what's cool is, so first of all, this is free, right? Like, this is a free multiplayer to download. You don't even need Game Pass for it. And it is apparently just destroying, like, a lot of people, other multiplayer games in terms of numbers. So it's really taken off, and I'm glad for them. But what it is is just purely solid, good mechanic shooting, solid, good mechanic uh, vehicle driving, and it doesn't matter that you're like lined up with your squad and you know cuz like mm-hmm. apex i feel like you get to a point where you have to be one with your squad rainbow six siege to my understanding is like that too where this is you know hey if you want to be with your squad cool but you know hey if you'd feel like you know wild manning a mongoose around then yeah go for it man if you <laughs> if you kill some people it's great so like um the weapons are awesome the, just it is i haven't felt this way about a halo since probably like so I played one and two multiplayer and then I played five multiplayer. So I've skipped all the ones in between that. 
Uh, and one and two multiplayer was like you uh, were at a place physically with other people and you yeah. land in. Yeah. And and this feels like that, dude. I, nice. I just and again, it kind of gives me that Battlefield 1943 where it's just like, OK, everybody starts with the same assault rifle and pistol and then you kind of have to go from there. Um, I've just really, really, really liked it. And it's taken me a little bit more away from Forza Horizon 5 than I would like. I'm still really hitting Horizon 5 hard because I think it is pound for pound the most good time I could be having. Yeah. Um, when I sit down to play a game and like in short spurts, uh, it's just really great to just blast through, um, you know, some of these events. And the like I said, the pacing is just much, much better than previous Horizons. So it's just really cool to have both of these games and to be able to choose between them at any given moment. Um, that being said, I, I also want to mention um, the the Grand Theft Auto stuff. Have you like been following this at all? So last week I told you don't download it because yeah, it's really yeah. buggy. Did you know they pulled it from the PC for a while? I knew it wasn't available. Yeah, because I was looking for it, but yeah, they since come out and apologized. I guess it was even more broken than I had assumed. Like beyond what Cyberpunk was like when it released. That's impressive. That that takes something. <laughs> Yeah, especially for a 20-year-old game or whatever. Um, anyway, so lots of good games, uh, and it, it's just... I, I can't recommend both of these, uh, both Forza Horizon and Halo, enough. Like, um, They're just, just solid fun, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it really, it's really great that I feel like all the companies, every system, including PC and Switch, are offering something right now that's kind of unique to itself and really enjoyable. So whatever box you have... You're gonna have some like really good options, yeah. Um, which it's not always been the case like that, right? Like there's been oh, there's holidays been droughts, in the past, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and through COVID, you wouldn't expect this to be the thing, but it's it's been really nice. So, Cameron, if someone would like to tell you how to attach C4 to a four wheeler and drive it off the top of a building, where can they find you? <laughs> Please, that's all at Cameron underscore McCoy. And I am at Curtis now. Our official show feed is at Spike Feed MTG. We'll check you guys next week. <laughs>